Hi, everyone. It's Mandy. Before we go into it, patrons, you are everything. Thank you so much for being supporters of the show, supporters of the Restorative Grief platform everywhere it's found. Because I've been doing this for a while now, but I tell you, running with others makes it so much more enjoyable. So if you're interested in all the premium content, exclusive interviews coming up, or even just supporting the methods and the work because you know it makes an impact in your life and in others, then we would love to have you join us. Check out the show notes for links and that's that's it. Let's get into it. <laughs> Welcome back to Restorative Grief with Mandy Capehart. You are listening to episode 51 titled Grieving Creatively with Cynthia Hawk. Here on Restorative Grief, we love to offer unique tools and techniques for you to experiment with your story as you move through grief. Cynthia Hawk founded Mindful Creative Muse as a way to support heart-centered individuals in decreasing their stress and their creative blocks. And as you can imagine, she also runs across the occasional griever too. Her work aligns with restorative grief principles so beautifully by creating an invitation to our stories to heal through our experiences and expression through mind, heart, body, and spirit. This conversation will hopefully help you understand how artists and non-artists alike can benefit from using artistic expression to find movement. Hello, Miss Cynthia. Welcome to Restorative Grief. Hi, Mandy. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. I really appreciate you taking time to be with us. I know grief isn't one of the typical things that you necessarily get to work with on a, in your work, but I'm really excited to hear about the work that you do and hopefully create a really great understanding for people who are grieving about how this can be an effective tool for their own healing process. So why don't you take a moment and just introduce yourself to our listeners? Yeah, absolutely. So I largely share mindfulness, meditation, and art activities to help people de-stress, to help them with self-care. And part of that, also a couple of the exercises I share are specifically focused around grief, around how we can hold our own grief, be with our grief, and threaded throughout that are mindfulness practices and non-judgmental awareness, which uh, I've found for myself and a lot of the people I work with can be really helpful when we're overwhelmed with grief and it's just too much. And so there's there's some ways that we dive into it. And I do that through online classes and teacher trainings and just through chats and sharing information with people. You said one of my favorite phrases, and I say it a little differently, but non-judgmental curiosity is how we approach grief mm. in the restorative grief world. And so I would love to hear a little bit about how that plays into the mindfulness and creativity practices that you present to people. Yeah, I love that word curiosity and having having it be named that. So the the way I like to think about it is if I imagine salt, right? Like if if grief, if trauma, if something that's really difficult is really salty and difficult for us to swallow or be with. If I imagine salt and I were to pour it into a small thimble of water, that would be a pretty salty solution. If I increase and pour that into a bucket of water, but the salt solution stays the same, it would kind of be watered down. Same thing if I poured it into a larger tub, or if you imagine pouring it into to a big lake or something. And so the reason why I use that metaphor 
before is that for me, when I first discovered mindfulness and meditation and art practices in this way, it offered a bigger container to be with what was present. Sometimes that was grief. Sometimes that was chronic pain or trauma, which both of those can be very much threaded in with grief. But essentially it was just a way for me. And then later when I'm sharing it with other people to not feel quite so overwhelmed and the curiosity and non-judgmental awareness, a big part around Art making, as an example, a lot of times art making is around making meaning. It's about self-expression. It's about being able to get something out of yourself and onto the page. But if the non-judgmental piece isn't connected to that, I find that it can still be a very stressful experience, especially if you're exploring anything related to grief work. And so being able to have these different ways we can notice what we might be feeling in our bodies or our thoughts or emotions around certain things, being able to notice all of that in a way where we can be kinder to ourselves and gentler around the topic and to, to just perhaps soften the edges around meaning, around that it doesn't have to be right or wrong. We don't have to label it. We don't have to judge it as anything That has been really key, I think, for a lot of mindfulness-based work and a lot of support for grief work. Yeah. I think that the idea of getting someone to a place where they are comfortable sitting with their grief is very complex, right? It's an extremely tender, very delicate process. Inviting creativity into the conversation sounds like 99% of the people who have never practiced art are going to say, I'm not good enough. I'm not an artist. This isn't something I can do. I could never, you know, create the picture in my head and translate it to the paper. So how would you, how do you work with the people who are, that have maybe a creative block or a critic that is an internal critic who is saying, no, you, this isn't going to ever work for you. Yeah, I would first say that you're not alone in having that thought because I hear that I would say that's one of the number one things I do hear from people because many of the people and students I work with don't consider themselves to be artists and a lot of the practices and activities we dive into the intention isn't to make a beautiful picture that we're going to hang in a gallery or hang on our wall. You might love what you end up creating. But a lot of what we focus on uh, are body scans, noticing sensations in the body. We have I have a practice that's called mandorlas, which basically is just two circles, and they meet in the middle, and the middle shape is an almond, and in Italian, mandorla means almond. And so we're in that practice, we have those circles as a container, and I share different prompts So it might be things you're feeling in your body. It might be certain colors that you're drawn to. It could be words that you're entering into those circles, again, as that container. And so we don't know what type of picture we're going to make from the beginning. And we're not trying to make a particular type of image. It's more so what I love about it is that it's a mirror reflection of what we might be thinking or feeling in the moment. So similar to meditating and just noticing that, We're doing that, but there's something about getting it on the page outside of ourselves where there can be, I notice, a little bit of distance. And I can, oftentimes I'm surprised when I do it or I hear this from students that once it's out on the page, two things can happen. We can be surprised, like, oh, isn't that interesting? I felt, you know, 
this tension in my shoulder and it's this red jagged mark. And it's for me, it's connected to this thought I had. And now I can really see it once it's out, outside of my body and just notice it. And then the other thing that that can happen with that is that we can then deepen into and do a lot of writing, but I don't start with writing and especially with grief work, because I find I'll just share if I can briefly an experience Please, yes. that, that I had. <laughs> so I was treated for cancer in when I was 29 years old. This was, I don't know, 13 years ago or something. And uh, I had discovered a intuitive collage based practice at the time called soul collage because I was I had gone through radiation. I couldn't touch electronics. I couldn't be around anybody. I was totally quarantined, which I think a lot of people can relate to in the last couple of years. So I was exploring these images and at the time, because I did have a lot of grief going through cancer treatment, because, you know, grief, I feel like often it's like having your entire world flipped upside down or shattered or shifted, right? And sometimes your identity, there's just so much connected to it. So when I was doing that, those practices, those art activities, it wasn't, I didn't go into it with the idea of doing grief work. I wasn't doing it um, with any of that knowledge because that was before I was trained and certified. I was just trying to explore something that could get me, you know, into another place of awareness and shift my focus a little bit. And so part of it at the time, honestly, was a distraction. And what I then noticed by having imagery that I was drawn to, that I was repelled by, that I was playing with in front of me with these collage magazines, is then it was very clear to me in different ways how deeply it was connected to my grief, how deeply it was connected to what my body was going through in that moment after surgery and radiation. And there's, um, I think that there's so much different support and ways that we can explore grief work. And I love that there's a lot of options and that we can um, seek that out and support either that's working with a therapist or art therapist or a teacher or just group work, but having something where we can be held and receive support and prompts. And so, yeah, so that's a separate side story. But I say all of that just to say that the imagery you don't have to necessarily even have an intention to dive into your deep work with uh, or grief work with the imagery. It automatically will start to surface in, in smaller, sometimes big ways. And then I love a lot of different writing prompts and, and ways we can use mindfulness to just notice that and not fix anything, not change anything, but just to be with small parts of our experience in that moment. And that's just it too. You are absolutely right that it comes to the surface, whether we really are pulling it up or not. We recognize what's hurting and we are trying very well or, and often doing well, often failing to find the distractions and distractions aren't a bad thing. Distractions from you know what we're experiencing and the grief that we're feeling or what we're trying not to feel those tools that we collect and these practices, no matter what they are, how simple and approachable they feel or meaningless, maybe because, you know, some people would say that I would find no joy or no creative outlet in doing collage work. And yet when you're elbow deep in it, you realize kind of like you did, wow, this actually is hitting on something that I didn't know needed attention. So I, I find that those tools are incredibly 
necessary to kind of cultivate and like create a little toolbox of activities. So I love that in your own personal experience too, that you found a lot of movement with that opportunity to be creative. And I like to, you were describing the overlapping circles. It actually reminded me of kind of like word maps and creative writing prompts that I've done with clients and even in my own writing practice and grief work. How do you eventually use that beyond just a writing experience? So if you had, say, a class of people that are sitting with you and using that circle technique to bring something to the surface, what is it that you're talking with them or teaching them about mindfulness through that, that takes it beyond just a simple, you know, write a short story based on what you've come up with here? Yeah, I love that question. So a big part of what I talk about with a lot of the activities I share, I always come back to the word practice, that we can have an exercise or an activity or something in our tool belt, which I love that you mentioned that, that we can kind of go to when we need it. And with mindfulness, especially, I see it as building a muscle. And so it is a practice. And the more that we're able to to use either, as an example, the mandala or the mandorla art activity um, that I mentioned or different mindfulness or meditation practice, I feel like the true gift of that, whether you're focusing on grief work or anything in your life, is to have that as a place that you return back home to, to rebuild that muscle of noticing what's happening in the present moment without that judgment coming up. And also, I think, trusting and remembering that we're human. So the judgment will arise, and it's more so noticing how we can be aware of, oh, I just had a really critical thought around that mark I made. Or, oh, I have a really critical thought around how that connects to grief that I have. And having that be really supportive information, like not not even getting frustrated at the fact that we're noticing judgments, but that's part of the practice in and of itself. And so I use that word a lot in my classes and with the exercises I share. And so typically if it's, let's say, just the one online class students will have more things that they can do outside of that class, but really that they can come back to in their own time with their own practice. And I thread in different things around the four foundations of mindfulness. So it might include the body, it might include thoughts. So there's there's different things that are interweaved through that I'd like to, to share about mindfulness in general for people that are curious. And a lot of times I notice that People who've tried mindfulness or meditation in the past but struggle to meditate or find that they feel too fidgety or too overwhelmed or too distracted, that again, having these really simple practices where it's imagery outside of the body as you're practicing that mindfulness, it can just feel more accessible. And I hear from people that it feels more, I don't want to say enjoyable because it's not necessarily always like fun. It's not, um, <laughs> but, but that's the word that's coming to mind right now that it can feel maybe like a more easeful practice compared to if we're trying to explore mindfulness in another way. I really want you to expand a little bit more on the four foundations of mindfulness in the context of what you do, because you're absolutely right about mindfulness practices feeling inaccessible. And oftentimes with grief, our mind is not a safe place for us to go to. And so as we are looking for wholeness in ourselves, mind, heart, body, and spirit, 
how can mindfulness as a practice combined with creativity or creative expression actually become, what does that look like to become more accessible for people? Like if you have a story of someone who has said, oh yeah, this is perfect. Mindfulness never worked, but in this context, now it makes sense. Now I get the value. Yeah, I love that. Um, So the first thing that comes to mind is the body scan drawing meditation that I mentioned earlier. And so I have had many students, but but immediately one um, came to mind of a woman who had really struggled with chronic pain and fibromyalgia for many years. And I think I've had this experience with chronic pain and maybe people that are listening also have had this experience that I think grief is really wrapped up with pain in the body because there can also be with chronic pain, we can lose activities that we love doing. We can lose parts of our identity. We can lose dreams of things that we had, right? There can be this feeling of having something stripped away from us that's outside of our control. And so she had suffered from fibromyalgia for many years. And she had actually come to an in-person class that I had had. And this was a combination of mindfulness, meditation, really simple drawing practices, that body scan meditation, and a little bit of movement and yoga at the time. So this was a few years ago. And so what I like to do is I like to have a brief check-in at the beginning. And so with those four foundations of mindfulness, uh, it's of the body, it's of feelings. So mindfulness of the body, mindfulness of feelings, mindfulness of the mind or our thoughts, um, and then mindfulness of Dhamma as well, which I, I could that goes a little bit deeper. But the I like to do a brief check-in and to do a very quick body scan and notice how are you feeling in your body if you were to rate it like on a pain scale of one to ten, if you were to notice how much your thoughts are racing or perhaps maybe how negative your thoughts feel or how busy your mind is in the moment and noticing any feelings you have, feelings of judgment or sadness or anger, grief, although that's a, you know, can encompass all of those things. So to have that check-in and when she checked in at the beginning, I forget the exact numbers, but I think she was somewhere between like a five and a seven on her pain scale and on feeling kind of overwhelmed with thoughts and emotions. And so the body scan drawing meditation is a really simple going either from top of the head down to the toes or vice versa. And almost imagining like if you were to do a slow x-ray of your body and then as you're x-raying through and scanning through, noticing any perhaps areas of tension or feelings of upset, like maybe knots in your tummy or nausea. It might also be, I invite people often to imagine if an area of tension in their body or if their distracted mind had a color or a scene, what would that look like? So it might be tangled knots. It could be, you know, a feeling of being a on a boat in the middle of the ocean and the waves are really rocking. Like there's so many creative ways that people come up with. And then inviting after we do that scan, some drawing uh, and a little bit of movement and then checking in again at the end. And her pain had gone from around that five to seven down to a two within like a 45 minute period of us doing this practice. And she came up to me after class and I don't know about you if you ever experience, I'm a goose bumper. So if I, if people share something, cause I'm such an empath, I can really feel it and get goosebumps. 
And when she had shared that there, she had such a drastic drop in her pain levels and that she felt much calmer, she was just really excited about the practices. And that, so that's an example, I think, not only of the changes that can happen in the moment, because it may or may not happen for people. It's very different every time we practice. But what I love is that one, she had some relief, but also that she was really excited to do that practice again at home on her own, that there was, you know, I've, I've had my own experiences of trying tons of different things to, to manage chronic pain and manage grief, right? And there's so many different things that can be helpful and sometimes aren't helpful. And sometimes it varies on the day. But that feeling of hope that she shared with me, that she was excited, that she noticed such a big shift in a small period of time, that was really exciting for me. And there's part of the mindfulness practice also is noticing things shifting and changing. So noticing sensations in the body you know, I might have felt tension. I actually did. I noticed tension in my upper shoulders when we were first talking. And now I more so notice like my feet feel really cold, but I feel really grounded in my chair and having that awareness of noticing things shifting and changing. Because I think for myself, what I often experience with grief is that it feels not only overwhelming, but very stuck in that moment. I just love it so much because they're really simple practices and it can help open up small little doorways or possibilities. So that's my long rant. I love that. it. I think your ability to recognize and invite people into just recognizing where you're at right now, not judging it, not trying to feel differently about it, but becoming aware of it is such a validating thing because I think grievers often say, well, I'm angry. Of course. I'm sad. Of course. As if the, of course, means there's nothing that can be done about it. Where the truth is there's much that can be done with it. And they're not necessarily negative things. You know, our emotions, the way that we feel, those are morally neutral experiences. They just are true of our lives in this moment. And what we do with that information and that awareness can be the thing that catalyzes us into healing or into a greater understanding or into even an expanded vocabulary about anger or sadness or pain or what that might actually mean for us using and expressing it through a practice like this. I love that. Yeah. And I love that you named around that feeling that it just sort of is that there's nothing we, that we can do about it. And also I've found for myself, a lot of different mindfulness and art activities that there often are shifts. And at the same time, that's not the like root of the intention behind it because it, it may or may not shift. We can be in, in our grief for a really, really long time. Yes. And, and so having something for me, I noticed having something that just helps me to be with things in small ways that feels supportive. You know, I, I imagine I, I used that metaphor of the boat in the ocean earlier, but if, if we're in, you know, a 10 year tsunami, it's, it might not be that we're trying to figure out how to make the tsunami go away and just fix it. Like that's not necessarily the thing that we need. For me, I need to know how can I be in that tsunami and know that, you know, I'm not going to drown. 
there's so many things around these mindfulness and art activities that I find helpful for that reason. I love the, I say that metaphor often, learn how to tread water instead of fearing you will drown when it comes to grief, because that's exactly it. We are equipping ourselves with skill sets and awareness that will maybe never be needed. We might never find usefulness for these practices, but our willingness to learn about them before they are in demand is what can free us up from feeling very, very immobilized as grief enters our story, because you're not wrong. It affects all of us at any given moment. And it's, it's never quite as anticipated as we like to think it is. So where you mentioned that you do some of this online, where can our listeners find more about your work and connect with you if they have questions? Yes, the easiest place is on my website, which is mindfulcreativemuse.com. And I have the mandala and the mandorla courses that I mentioned around grief online are there. I also have different videos and articles and some workbooks that um, you can download that are free that have different resources around mindfulness and art. So there's just a lot of information that is there on the site as well. Well, I think we're going to wrap it up. Do you have any other last minute like nuggets of wisdom that you want to say? I didn't mention this and it's unrelated, but this is important. Mm. The So an image just came to mind for me and it, I know many people have heard of it, so it's probably not new information at all, but I just always find it really powerful is that the image of the lotus flower that is often, you know, floating flower on water only grows in mud. It actually, it, it always has to have that mud there in order to to grow and be fertile. And so I think that for me, a big part around mindfulness that I find useful is that it's it's not about pushing anything away. It's just about that containment. So that's just the image that came to mind. Perfect. No mud, no lotus. Just like Thich Nhat Hanh <laughs> said. Did you read that book? I love him. Yes. Yeah. His book, No Mud, No Lotus, is one that I refer often mm. for grievers. So excellent. This is a perfect note to end on. Cynthia, thank you so much for joining me today. I know this was a, a very quick flyover of what we could be talking about, but I'm so excited to bring your work to this audience. And I thank you for your time. Oh, thanks for having me, Mandy. Thank you for listening to episode 51 of Restorative Grief. I love how Cynthia makes creativity accessible to grievers because so much seems just out of reach when we're grieving. Trying to express ourselves in a creative way, whether that is through movement, music, drawing, or the like, can be anxiety-inducing. We often have a narrative of monetization, believing we should be able to make a profit from all our creative endeavors. But in this context, we can learn how to create in a pressure-free zone and hopefully alleviate that internal pressure we might feel in the grief process as well. If this is your first time listening to Restorative Grief, I want to applaud your courage and thank you for being here. I know new podcasts are always a gamble and when the topic is touchy like this one, it can be even riskier. So thank you for tuning in and I do hope you'll subscribe and come back again, maybe even leave a little five-star review for me. You might consider also sharing this episode with a fellow griever or friend or even an artist who may have expressed a strong sense of inner criticism about their creative side. 
Grief is a time in life when everything seems up in the air. So perhaps some grounding artwork practices are exactly what we all need. Don't forget to subscribe for real. I know I already said it, but it's worth repeating (laughs) and maybe consider becoming a patron to gain access to even more exclusive grief support content. You're an incredible audience and I'm so grateful you're here either way. And one last thing, please remember the only solution for grief is to do the work of grieving. Thank you for listening. I'll see you next week.